All right, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. The new creation, Jubilate Sunday. If anyone's in Christ, he's the new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Lord God Almighty, who every year renews the face of the earth and whose will it is to renew the fallen world, grant to us, we beg you, that we discern in your Son the dawning of true life and in him share in this new creation who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God now and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, what do you say, Mary? We working? Is it? All right, good. Uh, put money in the basket for Spain. This is what it's come to. They have to leave me money and a napkin note. Spain. Money, napkin note, okay? I'm old. I'm, it does work. It does work. A genius, whoever did that, the model of efficiency. So last week, you gave $3,000 last week to Grace Lutheran School, which was stunning. I mean, $3,000, a ton of money. Good job. I think there was, we had, through the year, I think we had, you know, $1,400, and then I think people gave, you gave another $1,500, so that probably made their day. And then we sent, uh, on Tuesday, we'll send $8,000 to the um, Russians so they can run their summer camp. They actually wanted $18,000, so if you have an extra $10,000 around you don't know what to do with, give me a buzz and we'll send it there. But um, the great thing about the Russians is they always dream big. So, uh, you know, they can spend as much money as we can give them. So it's, it's, all, it's all good. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty good. Happy Mother's Day all around. Uh, very, very nice. I mean, it's nice to see so many families and kids and moms here this morning. That was a very, very nice thing. Happy Mother's Day, Kirby. That's right. That's right, exactly. I was going to show the smoking Hot Wife video. I've shown you that, right? No. I don't think you should. You've never seen it? Which one? <laughs> Which one? I've never shown you the NASCAR Spoken Hot Wife prayer. No. You have. I have. These people. Oh, I thought I showed them. Ah, uh, next week. You never know, man. You've never seen. I thought. I thought I'm going to show you that, and I thought, oh, you'll think I showed you that already. So if I had somebody good with a computer, well, you never know. Well, we'll work it out for you. All right, more to follow. You got to help help me remember to do that. It'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's everything. Anything else going on? Everybody good? Life's good? You're good? Uh, okay. Uh, take a look. You know, we're running through this list of good things that Jesus does for you. You know, today, this notion of understanding. Now, you know, it's all over the scriptures. So I gave you a call, open my eyes so I see. So seeing is going to be a big part of this. So I see the marvelous things in your law. Give me understanding and then I'll live, right? Now, there are some of these things that we're going to talk about that are fairly close. We talked about discernment last time around before we, you know, talked about um, the sin of anger. We talked about discernment. Discernment has the, it's sifting. Discernment is sifting. And, uh, but, but understanding, as you'll see, understanding is really insight. Now, we did the list backwards, which is why, you know, sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't. But you really, so, so insight would be uh, gathering the data, but in a deeper, clearer way than most folks can do it. So you, you know, and, th and then we're going to talk about wisdom next week. So, you know, but these three things, they sort of fit together on how, how the church works. And the thing, it doesn't have to all be found in one person. So you need your sifters who sit next to your 
you know, people who are really see clearly, you know, who sit next to your people who really um, live virtuously and courageously. Yeah, and when you, this is how a church should work. When you bundle all these things together, and one of the biggest things in the church is you've got to know when to get out of the way. You know, when it's not your gift, just get out of the way. Um, and you can do that by trial and error. Sometimes people will do that and they'll just say, hey, phew, I'm, not, I'm no good at that, I'm going to do something else. That's completely fine. But to be bundled up together as one body, right, as one group, it's, there's no shame in saying, I don't have that gift. And it's a false humility. Here's the other side. It's a false humility if you have the gift and you don't use it, right? That's a, that's a false humility. If you have the gift, it's meant to be used for the good of Christ and the church. If you don't have the gift, then step into another gift. It'll be fine. But the church works when everybody puts that all together. So I didn't write you a big review, although here you go. Um, I do remind you on Mother's Day to try to discover your wife's language of love. What's your language of love again? Quality time. Oh, yeah, quality time. Good. <laughs> Gosh. I wrote the kids and told them it was words of appreciation. No. Jeez. So you see how important this is. Matt Harrison, before he was the president of the Missouri Center, was, you remember he preached here and then he came to our house and stayed overnight. And we're sitting at the dinner, at dinner and he's like, he said, I, this is, you know, before he had lawyers surrounding him telling him what he could say or not. He said, well, he's, there was, there's this book, the, what's it called? The Five Love Languages. Yeah, The Five Love Languages. You know this book? Some of you nod like you read it more than the Bible. Others of you are looking blankly. <laughs> so... Like the Bible, blankly. Like the Bible, blankly. So here's the thing. What is it again? Quality time? Quality okay, good. I'm going to spend some time with you today. All right, good. <laughs> Men are stupid. Okay, so um, what are you going to do? I mean, it just is. What, so he, said, he says, that book, and I thought he was going to say, was so stupid. His pop psychology, blah, blah. he goes, that book saved my marriage. And I was like, what? So um, anyway, you know, but, but I, then I was thinking about this in terms of, so you can see, normal, in a normal relationship, um, sometimes, you know, men can fail to observe all the data. However, and, and so you remember a few Easter's ago, five Easter's ago, I actually preached to you about you love people the way they need to be loved and not the way you want to love them. So when Jesus comes to Mary in the garden, he loves her in the way that she needs to be loved. So, you know, the five love languages thing, what that's what that telling you is my wife needs to be loved in a particular way, so does your wife. Other, this is true for everybody. You, the people react in different ways. What's my love language? Being left alone. <laughs> you can see how easily this works, right? What do you want to do? Let's be together, let's be together. Leave me alone, leave me alone. <laughs> this is a true story. I'll tell you a true story. When we were getting married, and you'll never figure out who this is, there was a pastor who was supposed to give us premarital counseling. There was a pastor who was supposed to do this. And we, unlike many people, a lot of people we say come in, they're like, how many times do I have to come in? So many hoops to jump through. Don't you know I need to rent a limo? I got, I'm really busy. I'm like, okay. So unlike that, we were saying to this pastor, you know, we want to talk to you. He kept blowing off our appointments, breaking the appointments, and we were traveling back often to see him. And f suddenly he says, like, you know, he's never met with us 10 days before our wedding. He says, Oh, you're going to be a pastor. Don't worry, you'll be fine. I'm like, you can see we're still working it out 30 years later. Right? Insight, insight, insight. Okay, so um, 
Now, the good thing about Jesus, though, is so it would, be, it would behoove all of you to figure out, you know, this is just not, not just for your wife or your husband, but for your kids. And, I mean, when we say things like all your kids are different, this is part of what we're saying. They need to be treated and loved in a different way, you know. Um, you know, if my wife is tired, what does she want to do? Story from Valpo. Kirby has 104 fever. And her friends come and say, it's too bad you can't go to the party tonight at the sorority house because you've got 104 fever. So Kirby got up, got dressed, and, and said the immortal words, I can always be sick, but I can only go to this party once. <laughs> So if Kirby needs to rest and recover, if Kirby needs to rest and recover, what does she do? She gets with a thousand people and hopefully a disco ball. And, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to go walk in the mountains of Spain where nobody, nobody can find me. Okay? Because, you know, these so people are different. Well, now the great thing about Jesus is, the great thing about Jesus is he knows you so well. It's the same. When he loves you, he does, in fact, love you exactly the way you need to be loved. And if you don't think it's the right way he's loving you, the trouble's with you and not with him. Okay? So it's just important kind of to recognize that. So when Jesus gives these gifts, sometimes people moan about, oh, I didn't get this gift, or I wanted that gift, or I wish I had that gift, blah, blah, blah. However Jesus is loving you, this is the one relationship where you need to adapt rather than him adapting. Okay? So I'm going to turn the page. Here's the next gift, understanding. Bina, okay. So the Father gives it to the Son. The Son gives it to you through His Spirit. And they do it in the way that will be best for you and the church. So this law, they'll come forth to shoot from Jesse. That's Jesus. A branch will come forth and bear fruits. The Spirit of God will rest upon him. And then he's going to give you that Spirit. That Spirit's going to give you Jesus. And with Jesus come his gifts in some measure to his church, right? So, wisdom and understanding. There's only two left. We're wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear, and delight. Right? So, we've done all these, but kind of backwards. So, just as a review, this is as much review as I'll give you. Awe, you know, that humbles you. So, if your trouble is pride, you know, awe and gratitude are the way that you eliminate pride. So, the awe humbles you. You're nothing but given to. You live by the gifts. That's humbling when you say, I'm completely dependent. Right? Piety opens us up. It's not the way we would do things, you know. It's not the way we would do things. Turn the other cheek, right? Give away our money. You know, be, be kind. Take a Sabbath. It's not the way we would do things, but piety opens us up to the divine way. Knowledge lets us discern the way of salvation so we see and we sift. Strength, fortitude, courage arms us for the battle. If, I mean, here's the thing. If you don't think you're in a battle, you know, just watch, what's, just watch what's happening around you. It's a difficult, difficult world right now. Counsel directs the heart, right? And so, you know, now forward, enjoy, hope. How are we going to do that in beauty and community? Well, um, one of the things that's... That, and, and these all work interchangeably. So understanding, it, it gives you data to sift, but it also, because it's a foretaste of what's to come, because you understand how God is at work right now in pulling everything toward the future, it's actually, you get a taste of beauty as well. So you start to get things that overlap. And people are more and less sensitive to different things, right? So, point three. Um, look at uh, John 16. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Into all the truth. So you're, you're trying to see what the truth is, you know? Don't worry, the Spirit will tell you. He doesn't speak on his own authority. 
whatever he hears, he speaks and he declares the things that are. So, so in some sense, the Holy Spirit gives you this data. And in that data, you know something about the past, something about the present, and something about the future. I'm turning the page at four. One of the happiest things about the church is this notion of now and not yet. And we try to work hard on this. And I've said this to you a zillion times, but I'll say it to you again. And you, should, you, know, you need to say it in your own family, in your own life every day, which is, you can have the church, you can have the family, you can have the life. I sound like Tony Robbins all of a sudden. <laughs> you can have, you can have in, a, in this sense, you can have the reality you want, uh, or you, you create the reality you want to an extent, right? So if you live in a mean-spirited, you know, if you lie, if you steal, if you're not honest, if you use people without thought, you know, if you use people like things, toss them away, that's going to create one kind of reality, even in a church. On the other hand, if you are careful with people, if you indulge them, if you're able to say, don't worry, they're just tired, they're just frustrated, they're just having a bad day, or, you know, everybody suffers from that from time to time, or they'll come back to me, or if you're all the things, long-suffering, merciful, kind, beautiful, you create that kind of environment too. And churches, the, the thing is, is churches, like families, they get inertia. You know you, you, you know, you watch reality TV. You see in a family, when there's an intervention, how, how, what it takes just to turn a family of five around, okay? Now, try to turn a church of, you know, a couple thousand people around. That means you really have to tend, you have to tend the inertia you have to tend, you know, it's a big deal. And if you get going in a particular direction, for better or worse, um, you know, that's the direction you're going to go. What's interesting, I always kind of think, I always think to myself, it's kind of proved true over the years, kind of however I'm feeling today, that's how you're going to feel in six months. There's just something about it, like it, the things I'm concerned about, you're going to be concerned about that in six months. It just, for whatever reason, it works out that way. So if I start to get, you know, jumpy about something, I have to kind of work at it now because otherwise it becomes contagious. I can feel it, you know, going through the congregation. And so it's very important if something starts to go wrong, you really have to, you know, tamp that down. You need to, you need to clean that up because otherwise, you know, eventually you can make things go wrong as well as it goes right. This whole exercise and being practical is really about creating the church that you want to be, you know, not self-sufficiently, not without the Holy Spirit, quite the contrary, that everything is from the Holy Spirit. And you continue to pour that into the place and it just gets better and better and better and better. You can have a church that's as good as you want your church to be. It can also be as bad as you want your church to be, right? So, I mean, the great thing is, if you sort of tend these gifts, if you start to look at how important these things and avoid the sins we've been talking about, life gets really, really good, okay? Um, understanding starts with contemplation. Now, I'm not going to say much about this because we spent all last year talking about this. But basically, if you want to know, if you want to know deeply, if you want to see deeply, brightly, clearly, you read the text and go to the Eucharist. You remember your baptism and say your prayers. We did this all last year. So my point is you need to actually engage. You need to engage Jesus. Through, through Jesus, you engage the Holy Trinity from the Holy Trinity, you receive all the good gifts that you need. And it's really, I don't know if I'm getting old. Beb, tell me I'm not getting old, okay? Thank you very much. Okay, so because here's the thing. I am more and more, you know, I, I have this view of the world. Everybody has some view of the world, you know, what it looks like. But I really have to say, 
I'm, I feel like I'm becoming some sort of medieval, you know, pre-modern. Because for me, the world has become very clearly uh, this, this battle of good and evil. Now, when I say that to you, I'm not saying it in the way that, you know, the Wheaton fundies who are like stockpiling guns and wheat in their basement is saying it, okay? Like, I'm not battening down the hatches. What I see is, is I see how, um, how luring, alluring evil is and how it sometimes really is death by a thousand cuts. It's a, it's a you, you, as Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said, you wake up one day and you find yourself in hell. You know, you just, you just, I just, you can, and, and the thing is, more and more I realized I can't really do anything else except talk. There, I mean, I can't, my wife, my children, you, people I know, I can't force you to do anything. And anything that's done by force fails ultimately. Because the moment the force is taken off, you know, it snaps back. So here's the thing. The question is, if that's really true, I mean, and I watch people make decisions. And I used to, and even when I was here early in my early days, I would spend hours explaining to people why that was going to be a disaster. I don't, I don't actually don't do that anymore because there's very few people who work rationally. Most people work emotionally and the best I can do is give an emotion appeal to say, to say to somebody, that's going to be very painful or you're going to ruin your life or you're going to wake up one day and you're going to very, very much regret that. There's a few people who want to know the reasons why and I'm very happy to do that because that's how I came to all this was through the very rational way of doing it. But it's not where people are. So, you know, for you... What I can say to you is, you know, you have to pay attention to this. You have to be discerning. You have to be courageous. You do it no matter what. There's this great nervousness in America. Finally, churches are catching on that we're not a Christian culture. Finally. We haven't been a Christian culture for our, from forever. You know, it's an illusion even from the earliest days of the, you know, of the fathers of America. They were deists. They didn't believe in the little baby Jesus, flesh and blood, blind large. Say whatever you want about the moral part of it. It wasn't the sacramental, incarnational church that drove America. And America's not the church, right? This is why your American flag went out for the, to the dry cleaners early in my career, and it got lost. <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. It's with, I, but I do know it's with the Methodist Sunday School flag from Coney Island that also was in there, because that got lost too, because I just looked at my call papers and we were Methodist, so... Yeah, you don't think that's funny. You will someday. Because <laughs> I just served in a church where they had an American flag and the, what's called the Christian flag is the Methodist Sunday School flag, flag from about 1912 from Coney Island. I'm like, why do all Lutherans in, this, in our school, we replaced all those flags with crucifixes? Why we would be pledging to the Methodist Sunday School flag is beyond me as a synod. You've got to protect the brand, okay? So... So anyway, I can't, all I can tell you is, I mean, the best I can sort of say to you, and I wasn't, I was, um, here's the thing, it's just my job to lay it out there. Uh, you know, I'll talk to you rationally if you want, but an appeal to the heart seems to be, you know, 80% of people or more are, re it's really interesting. And the classics, I mean, if you read the classic Greek and Latin authors, they knew this. Um, it probably wasn't, I didn't pay, certainly pay enough attention to it um, coming through, but here we are. So understanding starts with contemplation. We did a lot of that last year. Contemplation always has an object. So you think about something, like you think about this cup of coffee, or you think about a crucifix, or you think about the baby Jesus born of Mary, right? And of course, for us, that takes its center in the cross. 
I gave you long things that you can read later, but, you know, here it is. Consider your calling. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Really interesting. I was at a wedding in Chicago last night with a collar on. Yeah, on State Street at, you know, 10 p.m. It is a fascinating thing, okay? You know, um, it's a, two things happen. People completely engage or they act like I am completely invisible. It is the most amazing, because, I mean, there wasn't anybody else with a collar on at 10 o'clock on State Street. It was just so, so interesting. People just don't. But, I mean, kind of the normal thing is people just think you're stupid if, you, if you're a pastor. I mean, it just is because, you know, they're sophisticated hipsters. They have to be. They pay $1,700 a month for rent. They must be clever. So, you didn't think that was funny. I did. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, you're not wise according to the standards of the world. Yeah, I know, because what you, you basically, you, you think the center of the world is a tool of execution, right? Well, yeah, actually, I do think that. Why do I think that? Because it means that Jesus is always with me and always loves me, even in my worst moments, which, frankly, is what every hipster on State Street wants to know. If you actually ask them, they still are afraid they're alone and unloved. And what they, if Jesus is with you in your darkest moments on the cross, Paul, then you're not alone and you're not unloved, which is really then a good thing, which means you're sur you'll survive. Then you'll survive and you'll flourish. So you weren't big deals. God chose foolish things, that the things that the world think is foolish. Look at the, right at the end. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, technical term for baptism, who became to us wisdom from God. Now, I know I said I'm doing wisdom next week, but the Hebrew goes into the Greek, and the terms are used interchangeably, so you just have to know which one. But it's this notion of insight. You see world, the, the world for, for how it really, really is. You can see, it's just like, I mean, here's the, I think if he's still alive, what I can say, I can say this. So I said last, in my travels to go see, um, I had to clean some things up with people I hadn't been caring for. So I, I went to see the homes and try to give them some encouragement. And I see, you know, more as I grow older now, um, some of these younger guys who have been through here as either interns or vicars, they just need to sit down and like, hey, what are you going to do? What should I do? How should I do this? What? So, you know, I, I, I went to see Pastor Holm just to spend a couple hours kind of with an external review of the stuff he's doing and how, you know, the things that have been great, the things that are troubling. Then I went and saw the Nagels and the Florahans because, you know, they've both been sick and uh, they're older now. And I was having, um, I don't know, coffee with Betsy Nagel. So she says to me about um, Yaroslav Pelican, you know who that is? No. Uh, Pelican, Pelican had a photographic memory. Uh, he's one of the two or three brightest men ever in the Missouri Senate. Um, when he wanted to mess with his... Um, professors at seminary, he wrote his final exams one term in Greek and Latin. <laughs> and um, then they passed a, a rule saying you have to write in English from now on because you can imagine his Greek and Latin was better than theirs, so they all had to go home and slog through what he had written. Um, and he was at Yale, and then there's a famous quote in, the, in, the, in, in a graduate seminar at Yale where a student said to him, PhD, you know, PhD students are always trying to, you know, said to him, you know, Dr. Pelican, have you read this book? And he said, young man, I don't read books, I write books. <laughs> Except it is, it is ego, but it's also true, because the, the next thing I'll tell you is he was having dinner one night with Betsy. They were all young and of the same era, and they all knew each other. And he said once to Betsy, he said, it's very difficult for me to have a friend. 
That's a very interesting observation. I mean, here's this guy. I mean, he, there's, you know, he's in a generation the brightest guy. And he's partly bright because he's driven. He's partly bright because he has a photographic memory that never left him. So you can imagine what that does for your languages, for your work as an historian. And you just remember everything all the time. It's a burden because you have data all the time that nobody else sees. Some of you have that burden. And it's very difficult for you to see why people can't see it. It's very difficult. And he's a great example of that. Why can't everybody else see what I see? Well, you know what? They can't. Because it's not the gift that they've been given. Two things have to happen. He has to use his gift for the church. And when it's time for him to use it, everybody else needs to step back. Because it's not their gift. Now, here's the thing. He can present the data. And you might have somebody else who can't see quite as insightfully, but who's really good at sorting the data. And then you have somebody really else who's really courageous about implementing the data. You see how all this works together? So this is how a church should work. And every piece has to work. Because if you get a kink in the supply chain, from the data to the sifting of the data to the implementation of the data, right? If you get a kink in the supply chain, you know, the church goes bad. That's what we've been doing all year. So here it is right here. I turned the page. Um, understanding then gives you a gift that floods the whole person. So understanding affects, and this is what I was saying before, it affects not only your head, but your heart. I mean, the great, one of the great, among the great mistakes I, I made is I just thought if I explained it rationally, everybody would just follow along. That was really stupid. So, um, you know, I just thought, you know, I just thought if I spoke clearly, you know, I, it would all just, well, I realize now, you know, it does need to be said clearly, but it also needs to be, you know, it needs to be directed for most people about 12 inches lower. So it needs to be an appeal to the heart for most people. It's how most people are constructed. You know, not everybody's constructed by the head. God bless people who are and pay attention to them, but it's not exactly the way things work. So here's what it does for you, understanding this gift. One thing is, is it's light in the darkness. So you can just imagine, you can imagine, take Pelican, take him if you're, you know, take, take him. If, imagine if you're, if you're doing research and you say, I wonder if this was ever, and he's like, yeah, that's on page 436 of the second volume of, you know. I mean, that, it's light in the darkness, right? It means that you can see, and I give you, more widely, more deeply, more clearly, more strongly, more brightly. Some people just see better, okay? Some people are just 20-20. It just, it just, some people are 20-10. It just is what it is, Okay. So, so I give you these in very practical things. I remember this. Somebody said this to me uh, this week, and I don't know that they know that it was quoted. For, it's from an old devotional book. I mean, that's where I first saw it 40 years ago. But um, Oswald Chambers, he wrote this, My Utmost First Highest. Everybody ever use that or know that book? There's a line in that book where he says, there's always one fact in the other guy's story that you don't know. Isn't that interesting? You just take that with you when you're, you think about, especially, I always think about kids this way, especially when you're very judgmental of them, what they've done. You have no idea what they're up against, right? There's always one fact in somebody else's story you don't know. People who are insightful see more facts. Or they see, they see this, you know, mist that they know they don't know, right? Rumsfeld's known unknown, Right? So there's always one fact. And there, some people just get that, and that keeps them then from being more judgmental. It keeps them from being unkind. It's a great gift. Or if you see more deeply, right? Um, some people just see more deeply. I mean, 
it's hard for me, you know, I was at a pastor's conference this week. It's hard for me to, you know, it's hard for me to understand people who don't have the Eucharist every time. Jesus did, the early church did. It's just, it's just hard for me to understand. It's under, hard for me to understand people don't appreciate the liturgy. I mean in the broadest sense. It's hard for me to understand it. Because the world is just, it just works better. It's a better place if you do that. It's hard for me to understand a lot of things. I mean, it is, it is what it is. But sometimes, um, you know, the jo- one of the joys of St. John is uh, how much people understand. Somebody, one of the visiting professors there, stopped me and said, I had, your, I had one of your guys in my class, and he was a bright boy, and I knew he got it all from St. John. Because I'd ask him, where'd you get that? He'd always say, he said, you know, whatever you did to those guys, that was the right thing to do to them. He said the other students didn't have that. So, I mean, there's another joy of people being at St. John. I mean, you, I don't know if you know this, probably in the last, you know, well, I've been here 17 years. We've probably sent 12 or 15 guys to the seminary since, I, since I've been here. And they are, by and large, very distinguished <coughs> guys. I mean, because they, they've been able to see more deeply. Or you see more clearly that you see an extra fact that nobody else sees. Or you see more strongly, right? So, I mean, just think about your appreciation over the years for the sacraments, for example. You know, just think about your appreciation for the Eucharist over the years. You know, you live and die by the Eucharist. It doesn't mean you don't live and by, die by the Scriptures. You already had that when I got here. Everybody in Wheaton has that. But it's those two things. It's the same Jesus being delivered in the Word, in the water, in the bread, in the wine. Right? So it's word and sacrament, those two things together. Or more brightly, the world is a brighter place. You know, the great thing, that great thing from Pooh I always give you, uh, I mean, you know, like you can't do it better than Winnie the Pooh. You know, I mean, that great thing I give every new member's class, you know, I'm a brain of, I'm a brain of, I'm a bear of no brain at all, says Pooh. Christopher Robin says, you're the best bear in all the world absolution. Am I, he said, and then he brightened up suddenly. I mean, it's just the greatest. That, that's confession and absolution. That's what it is. So the ability to understand that, the ability to see that, I don't actually want to say understand, the ability to see that is actually a gift. Some people get it, some people don't. I turned the page. Beyond the ability, uh, <clears throat> beyond the ability, um, just have light in the darkness is actually then kind of the next ability. So the first thing that understanding does is it, it just gives you this range of data. It's brighter, it's clearer, it's deeper, it's more thorough. You see things that other people don't see. Okay. But the next thing that comes with this, what's contained in this mm-hmm. word, is the ability to connect the dots. And that is a very, very important thing to be able to do. You know, the ability to connect the dots not only in the past, this is what happened and this is why, but also to give a pretty good guess at the future. People are better and worse at this, you know, right? How many, if you have two economists, you have three opinions, right? Right, okay, I mean, I get it, I mean, I get it, but some people are better and worse. But um, I give you then kind of the classic thing, the classic connecting the dots passage, um, is, is Romans 8, that God works all things together for the good of those who love God. The problem is, is most Christians say that like a Muslim. So I can't, you can't believe, the, I can't believe the number of Christians who say the great Muslim line. So when you're in Egypt in a cab, 
If you're in, an, in the Arab world with a very strong Muslim cab driver, you'll probably be dead because they drive on sidewalks, they run through traffic lights. Why do they do that? Allah's will. If Allah wants me to die when I rub, then it's Allah's will. So there's actually no regard for the free will of human interaction. It's the craziest thing. If you don't believe me, go to Cairo and get in a cab. You'll believe me <laughs> ten minutes later. Because you're just like, why are you running through that? It's Allah's will. It's as if it's Allah's will. So many, so many, here's the thing. These are critically heretical words in the Christian faith. It was meant to be. That's not Christian, friends. That, that doesn't recognize your free will and, and what you add to the equation. It was meant to be. Did Johnny Manziel say it was meant to go to the Browns? <laughs> like, I beg to differ. <laughs> the Browns? Sorry. You know how flipping cold it is there? All right. So the thing is, is it was meant to, all these people, it was meant to be. Actually, no, that would just mean that you're robotic. You know, it's a great Muslim way to talk. It was meant to be. That's not how we talk as Christians. As Christians, we say, I'm human, and the defining thing about me as a human is I have free will. And I can act like a complete idiot, and guess what? My world will be a mess. Or I can engage the data. I can sift the data. I can act with courage. I can do the right thing. I can follow Jesus. I can do that with kindness. I can be happy about it. And my world will be different. It's just not true. Try to lose that. It is the craziest thing. What the text says is, and often, the, and often then, you know, especially with unbelievers, they'll say something like, so God does evil so that he can do good. No. God does not do evil. You've learned this in the catechism. Indeed, God tempts no one, for example. God does no evil. But what God does is... Everybody gets to act freely. God acts freely. You act freely. Evil people act freely. Satan acts freely. And there's this big jumble of everybody's desires crashing together. Okay? Right? And in that, what God promises is that he will protect you and in the end, work it all out in a way that is best for you. The classic thing that people ask about is suffering. We spent a year or two talking about a single thing, that wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. So Christians actually say, when you suffer, yes, it's like, right? At death especially, at the trouble for your child, you know, financial ruin, those sorts of things. What we say is, you know, evil is the flashbang, right? Disorients, everything is off balance. Then the next thing we say is, well, I wonder how the Lord will sort this out for me. Which is very different from saying, this is how it was meant to be. That's not, um, unless, you know, unless you have really big proof that the Lord is acting directly in a particular way, that's just, it's just not accurate. At best, it's, at best, it's speculation. Okay? All things work together for the good of those who love God. Which means God takes the car crash of this world... You see, this is the reason you can recover when evil things happen to you. When evil things happen to you, a couple things can happen. You can be bogged down that for the rest of your life, right? There's especially, you know, very clearly in sexual abuse. People who've been sexually abused have to decide whether that's going to be the defining characteristic of the rest of their life or not. It almost is that simple. Not that they won't struggle with it, but you've got to define whether that's going to be the defining characteristic about you. Or somebody, your father dies when you're young. 
or your business partner cheats you out of what was meant for you. Any iteration of that, you have to decide whether that's going to be the defining characteristic or you'll say, the other possibility is to say, I'm never alone, I'm never unloved, Christ stands by me in all good things, I repent of it wherever I'm sinful, I pray for forgiveness, and I promise to do good. And come what may, I'm in God's hands. I will live and I will go forward in a way that is insightful, discerning, courageous, wise, delightful, right? And the good news is, someday you're going to drop dead and you can stop worrying about it because on the last day, the Lord will have the last laugh. And that's the reason you can live hopefully. And when you understand that that is how the world looks, when the world looks just like that, then it relativizes all these things that you think are painful, from spending time to say your prayers, to tithing, to giving money to the poor, to turning the other cheek and expecting nothing in return. See, this is how the world is meant to work. And it, while it may be wearisome and painful, there's all sorts of ways to mitigate it. There's all sorts of ways to strengthen yourself. And someday you're going to drop dead and you'll be free of it. So you can rejoice. That's what it means to die a blessed death. That's all part of um, God knits everything together for your good. So, you know, I'm halfway through. I only have one more week left, believe it or not, because of, of the jungle. I just want to look at the rest of... Um, I've probably said right there what I wanted to say in 11 and 12. And also, actually, thir uh, actually, yeah, yeah, okay. I probably got there. Let me just see if there's anything else. Let me do about two things. Uh, you know what? I've said, I've at least brushed up against everything. Um, but I do, I point, when I turn the page, I point you to one thing that I'll just say to you. You know, Brother Emil was here um, from Tazay, and he, you know, one of the mistakes I made is not to record that interaction. A lot of the, a lot of the younger folks were here that night. Um, you know, he started talking about, it was a, I mean, that was like, talk about a guy who understood what was, they talked about Brothers Karmatsov and they talks about divine evil, or, or he talks about evil and divine hope and, you know, this great line which he got from somebody else and he attributed to somebody else, divine joy is so big as to contain all of your sorrow and still be joy. No? So I push you all the way to point 14. I run this for you every couple of Easter's. It's a great resurrection text, but it actually goes to the understanding of the world. What Jerome is actually saying to you is, hey, with Easter, the whole world is understanding in a different way. I just, I, this, this day seems brighter to me. right? This day seems brighter than others to me. This is written about Easter morning. The sun shines brighter on the world. The stars and the elements rejoice. At the death of Christ, they had ceased to shed their life and had gone into hiding. That's how it feels, right? Plug your evil into that. This is how evil feels when it comes to you. It's as if the, it's as if the sun and the stars cease to shed their light and they go into hiding. They could not look on their Creator crucified. But now that this is His day of victory after His resurrection from the dead, they perform their proper task. So you have a proper task. They perform their proper task. Attending upon him by their own brightness. Heaven believes, earth believes. That's the greatest. So um, that's what you're aiming at. And I do actually give you the, um, I'll give you the last thing from now on on the very last page. You know, and I try to run this for you. But um, 
it's very difficult to love other people if you haven't um, come to love yourself. I mean, people who love themselves have a measure of confidence and stability that um, people who don't love themselves just, just simply don't have. But, you know, now is great. But the voice of Jesus says, do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty, a beauty that you've lost sight of, right? But which will become visible again to you in the light of mercy. The voice of Jesus says, come, come, let me wipe away your tears and let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you, I love you, I love you, right? That's the church. That's the church right there. It starts with that, and then it goes to all the other things we've been learning about. So, um, you know, we'll go one more time next week, and then um, there's a lot of stuff cooking. Uh, reserve, the, the, reserve the last Saturday, the last Saturday for Bukes' ordination, the last Saturday at the normal 5.30 service. We'll push that service out of the way and go full blast uh, with an ordination, so that should be fun. Sorry, of June. Sorry, sorry. Thank you. The last Saturday of June. I'm trying, I'm struggling for the date. I'm, I'm always saying it wrong. I think it's the 28th. Is it the 28th? Yeah. 28th, all right. All right, got to pray, got to go. Love you, see you next week. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. See ya. Thank you.